Let's bow again together. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege we have to be in your word this morning. And I pray that you'd prepare our hearts, that we'd receive your word and treasure it within. And Father, I pray that you'd enable me to share it exactly as you desire, so that you'd be greatly glorified in our responses, Lord God. We pray for that. We commit this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were to think of the main area of sin that uh, most believers fail in, or specific commands from Scripture that uh, believers regularly disobey, you probably would say, uh, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. That's possible. Or love your neighbor as yourself. That really covers everything. But as we've been studying the book of Colossians, we've seen some commands, as we'll look at today, such as let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. And what we'll see today, let the word of God dwell richly, and also that we are to do everything uh, unto his name. And I would posit to you that many Christians, including ourselves at times, fail in these areas where we are not obeying these commands. And we really need to ask ourselves, why are we not doing so? Well, today we're going to see the heart attitudes that we are to have as those who have been raised with Christ. Would you turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3? And we're continuing in our study of Colossians, and I'll give a brief uh, overview. The Apostle Paul is writing to Colossian church. He's never seen them, but he has heard from Epaphras of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for one another. But he's also heard that there are threats to their faith. There were those, chapter 2, trying to delude them with persuasive arguments, to use the world's wisdom to follow uh, the Lord, per se. And he mentions at the end of chapter 2, all these things, the religious shadows, religious experience, and religious rules are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And then moving into chapter 3, we see what we should be thinking about, that we are to be setting our minds on the things above, not the things of earth. Because we've died and our life is hidden in Christ. And as we saw back in chapter 2, we have a complete salvation in Christ. And as we have received and we are to walk in him. And therefore, we are to be those who are putting off sin, saying no to it, killing it off. And we saw in chapter 3 that we're to be killing off sexual sin, not letting it live in our lives. And we're also to be putting aside these things like a dirty garment, anger, wrath, malice, piece of sweets from our mouth. In the, by the power of the Spirit, as the Lord working in our hearts, throwing those things aside and then putting on uh, the character of Christ, allowing his character to clothe us in our interactions with one another, uh, that we would be like him, forgiving and bearing with one another and, and uh, having a heart of humility and kindness and, and, and gentleness and love towards one another. And then we came last week, we came to one of the first heart command areas where we see that we are to allow or let or commanded to have the peace of Christ rule our hearts. We're to let it umpire. We're to let it be the ruling factor in our hearts. And we're to be thankful. And now today, we're going to see the last two areas of where our heart should be in the context of our relationship with Christ. Then he'll move into specific commands for marriage, which we'll look at. Then for child raising and for a slave master work relationship and how we should treat non-believers. We're going to see those specific applications after we look at these portions today. So today, how are we to have, what are, how are our hearts to be? Well, we're going to see that we're to have the word dwelling richly in our hearts, the word dwelling richly. Let's take a look and read our passage. And I'm going to back up a little bit 
to verse 12 for a little context from what we've seen. Verse 12, And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, uh, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then what we saw last week, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. And now our passage, let the word of Christ dwell richly within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What a wonderful passage, and I'm humbled every time I come to passages like this that are so important and so uh, absolutely crucial that I shared exactly as the Lord desires. So you can pray for me as I teach that it would be exactly as he intended, that it would be what uh, he meant. Well, as we've seen, we are to have the peace of Christ ruling in our hearts. Remember, we saw that. You remember I mentioned briefly just a moment ago in context that uh, we're to be keeping the, the seeking the things above. We're to be seeking the things because we have died and our lives are hidden in Christ. We died with Christ. We were raised with him in a sense. We were placed into the body and everything he did for us was applied to us. And therefore, we're not to let sexual sin live. We're to put it off. We're to put off wrong attitudes like a dirty jacket. We're to lay it aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech from your mouth. And that's in the context of trusting Christ, by the way. You can't do it by yourself. And we're to put them off because... And then because we are are chosen and holy and beloved, we're to put on the character of Christ. We saw that in in, um, verse 12. And so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, as I read before, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And all of this is summed up in the context of love and put on love. I'll beyond all these things, which is the perfect bond of unity. And then we looked at this last week, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. He says, and. He's connecting it to what he's shared. So we're to make a choice uh, like a garment to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as the word works in our hearts, to put on the character of Christ. And then he connects this to the heart motives that need to be underneath that. We saw last time we are to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. And that's God's peace, more specifically focusing on Christ, God the Son. It's his peace. And you might remember we saw last week that God is characterized by peace. Peace, in general, speaking of that between relationships and parties, speaks of the the opposite of division, dissension, and conflict and war. And then within a character, it speaks of the lack of anxiety, fear, confusion. It speaks of harmony and tranquility. So here we see the peace of Christ, and we see that God is characterized by peace. Jesus himself being the Prince of Peace, and God being the source of peace. You see, it's only when we encounter the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, we actually receive his peace. You see, when you trust in Jesus Christ, we were divided, we were separated from him. We trust in him and believe in him. We have peace with God because we've been justified by faith in Jesus and our initial peace when we are saved results in the, is a result of an encounter of the grace of God in the person of Christ. Jesus is our peace, and we have positional peace with him 
through the forgiveness and reconciliation that comes through faith in him. Yet as you know, and as I know, as believers, we are tempted often at times, and we often lose our peace, whether it's through difficult circumstances with people or situations or this life, whatever it might be, just watching the news these days, whatever it might be, it is so easy to lose our peace. But that is not God's desire. Wonderful verse I shared last week, Second Thessalonians 3.16, and I'll read it for you. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. That's pretty awesome. Every circumstance, God granting you peace, isn't that wonderful? And then we also saw, and I'm not going to re-preach it, but we also saw that God's peace, his practical peace in the life of the believer doesn't have trouble. That's what the, the world, in the world you're going to have trouble, but Jesus said, I give you my peace, not like the world. It doesn't include fear or anxiety or confusion. God's a God of, uh, of, of peace, not confusion. It doesn't include jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, conflict. But this peace guards our hearts and surpasses comprehension. It's a peace that only God gives. And we saw we received this peace in the context of a relationship with the living God. His spirit bring, the, bring forth that fruit. The first, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace. And we saw in John 14 and John 16 that it is the Holy Spirit through the word of God concerning Christ that brings peace into the child of God. And all of this can't happen unless we are trusting in the Lord. Tremendous passage, Isaiah 26, 3, Thou steadfast of, steadfast of mind thou will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in thee. You trust in the Lord, you keep your mind on the Lord, you're going to stay in perfect peace. There's lots of things to shake up our lives, lots of situations, all kinds of evil and bad things happening, and it shakes us up. But we, God's desire is for us to have peace. And then we saw here that he said, let this peace that Christ gives, the peace of Christ, rule in your hearts. And that term was like an umpire in the games. It was the arbiter. It was the one who umpires. Let it rule in your hearts. Let it be the ruling factor. Let it be determining that you understand where your heart is at. And I think all last week, if you were here last week, you're realizing, hey, I can recognize when I'm at his peace and when I'm not. When my heart's moving away, I can tell, or I can tell when I'm relying on him, his word is in my heart, it's working in me, and I've got peace. I'm allowing that to be the standard in which I live. Let his peace rule your heart. And when it's not there, you realize something's wrong. There's sin, I'm worrying, or whatever it might be. When that peace is not there, let it arbitrate your heart. Let it rule over your heart. And if that's the case, you're going to be thankful. Be thankful. And it says, and be thankful. Literally, and continually become thankful. You see, that's an evidence of the Spirit of God's work in your heart when you're thankful. Thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for this, whatever it might be. So where there is God's peace, thankfulness is right nearby. So I want to ask you right now, uh, is the peace of Christ the standard by which your heart is judged or evaluated in life circumstances? You go through it, you know, we all know it. Things happen, all of a sudden we're all thrown out of shape. But when we trust the Lord, we allow his word to work in our hearts, there's a peace. It's the standard. Let it umpire your life. Not a phony peace. It'll be a genuine peace that has thankfulness with it, right? You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Keep your heart on Jesus. And that brings us to our passage today with the second command here that we're to have, the second heart attitude that we're to have. 
He says here in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we have another related command here. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Now, this command is in a present tense, speaks of a continual habitual action. It speaks of the word that is given by Christ and is about him. It's his word. It's the word of God. And he says there, we're commanded to let the word of Christ, present tense, richly dwell within you. And you have the second person plural here, within you all. It's the south, right? Let it dwell within you all. That's what it is. It's to be in all of us, believers, those who have trusted in Christ. Now, this verb translated dwell, en oikeo, speaks of to indwell. It speaks of indwelling. And it's interesting, this word is used almost exclusively in this form to speak of God's spirit indwelling us. We see it in Romans eight eleven. but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you or indwells you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who indwells you. Second Timothy 1 Timothy 1.14, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells or indwells in you. What was entrusted, Timothy, Paul tells him. Second Corinthians 6.16, where we are not to be bound with and yoked with non-believers and the, the reasoning why, what few reasons, but he says, for we are the temple of God, living God, and just as God said, I will dwell or literally indwell them. I will indwell them. And there's one other use that speaks of faith in dwelling believers. In Second uh, Timothy 1.15, Paul speaks of the faith that first dwelt in Timothy's grandmother Lois, her mother Eunice, in which was in Timothy as well, indwelt him, dwelt within. So then Paul is commanding believers to have the word of Christ indwelling them, taking up residence within them. And for that, you, it needs to be welcomed, by the way. You know, no one lives in your house unless you have welcomed them in. No one indwells your house unless you've said, come on in. You have to let them in. It means we need to get the word of Christ in our hearts. Let it inhabit your very being. It needs to stay in us. But how does it do that? Well, obviously, it needs to get on our hearts and minds, in our thoughts and dwelling in our minds. And notice there is a qualification there is a qualification. Let the word of Christ continually indwell within you richly. Richly. The term richly speaks of abundance. You might remember back in chapter 1 that the apostle Paul's prayer for these Colossians was that they might be filled to the brim with the knowledge of his will. They might be filled. Look back at Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, a couple pages back. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, that's their faith in Jesus, and we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. We are to be filled with the word of God, the knowledge of his will. We're to allow his word to occupy our beings. We're to allow it to take possession, to fill our hearts. The truth of Christ from the word of God filling our hearts on a continual basis. 
Be filled to the brim with his word. Top off your heart with his word. Let it dwell richly in you. Let it dwell richly. Now, sadly, there are some or many believers who rarely have his word dwelling in their hearts, and maybe that's a sign. Maybe that's a sign that there's something wrong. You see, when the word doesn't remain in the heart, there might be something wrong. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James says in verse 19, and this has to do with the word of God initially here, Therefore, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror, and for once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. There are those who name the name of Christ who hear the word of God and immediately it's gone the minute they they get away from it. It's gone. It doesn't remain in their hearts. You may want to examine yourself if that's your case because it talks about a worthless religion later on in the same passage. Yet there are some believers here who are truly believers where the word is not dwelling richly. It's dwelling, but it's not dwelling richly. And quite frankly, maybe it's dwelling poorly. The word of Christ is not receiving the full attention it deserves in the heart. It is dwelling poorly. It is pushed aside. It is is allowed to fall by the wayside. Proverbs 13, verse 13, easy to remember. The one who despises or treats lightly, the word will be in debt to it. There are believers that have it in their hearts, but it's not dwelling richly. It's not dwelling richly. And I believe there are many believers, as we see these Colossians were tempted, by the way, to do, who allow man's wisdom and man's ways to permeate their hearts, to dwell with, in a sense, the Word of God, and therefore it's not dwelling richly, the Word of God. It's dwelling quite poorly. Indeed, again, we saw the false teachers trying to delude them with persuasive arguments using worldly wisdom, the world's wisdom packaged through religious religiosity. And by the way, if you buy into this junk trying to relate to God through the shadows, religious experience, or rules, then I guarantee the word is not dwelling richly within you. And even worse, we have believers who are absorbed in this world through social media, television, radio, whatever it might be, and that's all that's going on in their hearts, rather than the word dwelling richly. They have the word dwelling, but it's dwelling very poorly. And I posit to say in the lives of some believers, it's dwelling very poorly. And I'm sure we all have understood that within our own lives at times. Let me give you an example. If you are in a relationship and you are interested in another person, then you value their word and you want to listen to it. You see people who are dating young ones, they're on the phone all the time talking to each other, texting each other. They want to hear each other. And the reality is if you are in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, then you're going to want to hear what he says. You're going to want to hear his word. 
You see, if Christ is of high value to you, then you're going to want to have his word in your heart. If he's of low value because of all this other stuff coming in, which you need to confess if that's happened. So my question is, is the word dwelling richly in you or not? It's a command for believers. If you name the name of Christ, I believe in Lord Jesus Christ, I am his child, is it dwelling richly or poorly? It behooves us to have a proper view of him and his word. Now remember, in this context, what God's word does for us. God's word is the means in which he brought us into his family. We know James 1.18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We know in 121, as I read earlier, James, that we are to receive the word implanted, which, which, can, which is able to save your souls. We know from 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. That is, through the living and abiding word of God. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord abides forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. We know that God brought forth the truth through his word. Paul telling Timothy says to him to stay in the word of God, and he reminds him on how he found out and understood about salvation. It was through the word. 2 Timothy 3.14, You, however, continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And he says all scriptures inspired by God. We know that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10.17. That's the only other place the term word of Christ is, by the way, just note on that. It's by the word of Christ. And we know we're not to be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the means in which God brings forth and speaks into existence his new creation, the body of Christ. Now, not only were we born again through the living and abiding word of God, it is the means in which we grow in respect to our relationship with Jesus. We see in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul is so thankful, by the way. He says, And for this reason, we constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. These pagan Thessalonians turned to God from idols. They got saved. And Paul was so thankful. They saw it as God's word. And he says, Which also performs its work in you who believe. God's word by his spirit works in the believer. Very clearly we see that. It's a truly amazing statement. It performs its work in you who believe. This is how God conforms believers to his image. The word by the spirit does the work in the heart that is allowing it to dwell richly. He doesn't say worship performs its work in you who believe. He doesn't say man's wisdom performs its work in you who believe. He doesn't say psychology performs its work in you who believe. He doesn't say clever stories and illustrations performs its work in you who believe. But what does he say? It's the word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. We know from 2 Timothy 3.16 that God uses his word. It is, it is that which, which is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We know from 1 Peter 2.2, 2, 
that we are to, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word that we may grow in respect to salvation. We know from Second Peter 1, 2 that uh, we see one three. We're to see that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He says in verse four through the true or three through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises. I'm preaching to the choir. You all know this, but we need to be reminded of this, right? We're all familiar with Hebrews chapter four. Verse 12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division, soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Psalm 19 makes it clear what God's word does. It is perfect, restoring the soul. It is testimony sure, making the simple the wise simple. Excuse me, the, making wise the simple. Psalm 19, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. After inviting uh, those who are, who are uh, without money, to, to have salvation without cost. In uh, Isaiah 55, uh, the Lord says, For as high as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return f- without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the matter for which I sent. And what did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but from every word, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's no shortcut. There's no program. There's no book. God uses the spirit and power of word to conform us to the image of Christ. That's the goal of our salvation. And he's preparing us for eternity. The Word reveals a totally sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. And folks, when we value and treasure the Word, we're going to want to be in His Word. If you treasure other things, then you're going to be in those things. If you treasure your social media more than the Word, then you're going to be in that more than the Word. It's what you treasure. It's what you desire. It's what you desire. Job, uh, going through such a horrible trial instigated by uh, the devil and, uh, and to, to try to make Job, this righteous man, turn against the Lord. And he didn't, but God used it to actually work in Job's heart. Job, in the midst of this, said in Job 23, verse 12, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, sometimes God's got to bring you down to a point where you see how much you need him and his word. got to have the right attitude. I've mentioned this many times in the book of Proverbs. You could turn in the book of Proverbs, verse chapter 2. There needs to be a heart attitude. You can come to a good church and listen to the Word of God every day. You can have sermons running in your car. You can listen to it all day, but it doesn't mean the Word's going to dwell richly in your heart. There has to be a heart attitude towards God and His Word. Proverbs 2, 
my son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you. Make your ears attentive, incline your heart to understanding. Hey, you gotta want it. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her, what? As silver. And search for her as hidden treasures. You, you value God's word and you seek after it in that manner. Then you'll discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord God gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I've already mentioned uh, Psalm 19 about what the word does. What the word does. Turn to Psalm 119. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the, we should. This, the whole thing is about a right heart towards the Word of God. I'm going to read a couple passages just to get the idea, and we'll kind of walk through a few of them to see where our hearts should be. And if our hearts aren't there, we've got to say, Lord, help me see what's in the way. Help me see what's in the way, Lord God. What am I holding on to? What idol do I have in my heart that is elevating my heart in that area above you and your word. What is it, Lord? Help me see it. Psalm 119, verse 10. With all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments. Thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Treasured. It's valuable. That's dwelling richly there. That's dwelling richly. He says here, Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of thy mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. It's valuable. I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. I shall delight in thy statutes. I shall not forget thy word. Deal bountifully, bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Look down a little farther, and there's so much. I mean, I could read every verse, but look at verse 25. My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to thy word. I have told of my ways, and thou hast answered me. Teach me thy statutes. Look at verse 35, 38, excuse me. Establish thy word to thy servant as that which produces reverence for thee. Use your word to cause me to fear you, Lord, to reverence you. Do that, Lord, please. I'm praying for that. Verse 41, may loving kindnesses also come to me, thy loving kindnesses also come to me, O Lord, thy salvation according to thy word. So I will have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in thy word. And do not take thy word utterly out of my mouth, for I wait for thy ordinances. So I will keep thy law continually forever and ever. I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Verse 49, remember thy, the word to thy servant in which thou hast made me hope. This is my comfort and my affliction that thy word has revived me. Psalm 119.101, I have restrained my feet from the evil way that I might keep thy word. Right? See that? Psalm 119.114, thou art my hiding place and my shield. I wait for thy word. Depart from me, evildoers, that I might observe the commandments of my God. Sustain me according to thy word that I may live. Verse 140, thy word is very pure, therefore my, thy servant loves it. It's pure, I love it. Love your word, Lord. Love it. Verse 148, my eyes anticipate the night watches that I might meditate on thy word. Wow. Lord, make me like this psalmist. Make me like him. Make you like this, Lord God. 
160, the sum of thy word is truth, and every one of thy righteous ordinances is everlasting. Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of thy words. I rejoice at thy word as one who finds great spoil. I could just keep going, but you get the point. It's all about your attitude towards the Lord and his word. If you fill yourself up with his word, you're going to be blessed. You're going to find good. You're going to find good. Proverbs 16.20, He who gives attention to the word shall find good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. We read this earlier, Psalm 1, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel. you got to turn away from the man's counsel. Man's ways, nor stand the path of sinners. You don't, you're not living the way they live, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You're not entrenched in it. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. It's just running through your heart. It's running through your heart. I tell you right now, for the believer, if you're not desiring the word of God, then sin has gotten in the way. There's some idol. Something has become more valuable in your heart than God. I'm not saying we're robotronic word people, but we're those who allow his word to dwell in us richly. The Lord is using it to to work on our hearts, to speak to us, to guide us and lead us by his spirit. Let the word of God dwell richly within you. One pastor writes, it must dwell in us richly, not only keep house in our hearts, but keep a good house. Many have the word of Christ dwelling in them, but it's dwelling quite poorly. It has no mighty force or influence upon them. It needs to dwell richly. Now, we're going to see this later on, but I want to show a parallel here with the Word of God dwelling richly and the Spirit of God. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 5, and hold your finger there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. I would be remiss if I didn't show you this parallel passage. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be controlled by wine, but allow the Spirit of God to fill you, to control you. Right? And he says here, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Wow, that sounds like our passage. That sounds like our passage. What am I getting at? So often we see the filling of the Spirit and the controlling of the Spirit in the believer's life separate from the Word, but it is together. It is God by His Spirit through His Word filling the believer. His Word dwelling richly in us. His Word dwelling richly. And I'm not going to read these again, but if you read Ephesians 5 and you look at our passage, you're going to see the same language. But one says uh, that we're to not get drunk but be filled. The other one says let the Word of Christ dwell richly. I believe it's two different pictures of the same concept and principle. One pastor writes, to let the word dwell richly is identical to being filled with the Spirit. The word in the heart and mind is the handle by which the Spirit turns the will, and it's clear that these two concepts are identical because the passages that follow are so similar. I agree with that. It's through the word of God in the heart of the submitted believer, the one who is the confessor of sin. First John 1 9, we're the confessors of sin. We don't, we don't, it's not that we don't sin, we do sin, but we're confessing it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Present tense. We're those who are confessing. 
If the word of Christ is in the heart of the submitted believer, God's spirit has freedom to control us and to use the word to direct us and redirect us. And it produces the life of Christ in us. And there's no shortcut, no program, no book, except for the Bible. God uses his spirit-empowered word to conform us to the image of Christ. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. It's a command, but the way it's phrased, they say let, and like kind of sort of loud. No, it's, it's, it's an imperative command. You are to have the word of Christ richly dwelling in you continually, habitually. So my question is this. Are we obeying this command? Some of you are asking to let it dwell. How do I do it? How do I let it dwell richly? Well, we've seen it already. First of all, we need to get rid of sin. We need to set aside sin. We need to confess our idolatry. We need to set aside sin and receive the word implanted. Scripture uses the metaphor of us feeding on the word of God. We need to take it in like food. You may be dieting, so you may skip a meal here or there, whatever that might be, but we feed ourselves every day. In the same way, we need to be in the word, humbly receiving it, setting aside sin. We need to meditate on it, Psalm 1. We need to memorize it, Psalm 119. We need to study it, 2 Timothy 2.15. We need to set our mind on the things above, not the things of earth. We need to read, listen, study, meditate, and memorize Scripture. And that happens from a heart that is treasuring it, not just rotely going through some, some principle of filling yourself. There are those that are in good churches. There are those who hear the word of God who don't know the God of the word. I've shared this passage from Ezekiel 33. There are those who heard Ezekiel speaking and they thought it was like a sweet song. It was like a concert. It was like a a man playing an instrument. But then they didn't obey the word. And they would ultimately know that a prophet had been among them. They delighted in the, the experience, but not in putting the word in their hearts and the God who spoke it to them. We need to be in the Word of God. One writes, Tell me what the Bible is to a man, I'll generally tell you who he is. I believe it to be clear evidence of the Spirit's presence when the Word is really precious to a man's soul. I'd agree with that. Some of you have the Word, you think it's indwelling you richly, but let me share, there's some tests, there's some manifestations. So look at our passage. There's some manifestations of the word actually doing that will help us see. Hey, is it really dwelling in me? Our passage. Let the word of Christ which you dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we have the command, and then we have three dependent participles, teaching, admonishing, and singing. They are connected to let the word dwell richly, teaching, admonishing, and singing. It's connected together. And I believe we'll see verse 17 is connected. You'll see the word and there. Connected also. So with that in mind, I believe there's two areas that are going to be manifest in in revealing whether that word is dwelling richly. One with man and then one with the Lord. First of all, with man. And it's at this point we need to look at some grammatical issues. In translating over from the Greek to, to, to English, the, the order kind of gets a little mixed up, but we can still grasp it. We can still understand it. So the question would be, is the teaching and admonishing done, done with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, or is the singing done with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? That's the question. 
Well, I believe as I studied this that the Greek grammar dictates that the teaching and admonishing one another is done by the means of the word of Christ with all wisdom, with all wisdom. And that the singing is accomplished with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You basically, in China, they don't have commas in Greek, but if you put commas in certain places, that changes the meaning of it. If you read through and you see that, I think we can see that. Therefore, I believe that we are to, with all wisdom, teaching, be teaching and admonishing one another. I think that's the first one. And then with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That singing is to God. That's in your heart. So then as the word of Christ richly indwells us with all wisdom in context, then there's going to be teaching and admonishing one another. You say, wait a second, what's, the, what's that? He says, with all wisdom, in passe Sophia, it literally means in all wisdom, not a little bit of it, in all wisdom. And indeed, we saw Paul has used this exact phrase twice already in Colossians. Colossians 1.9, he used it, being filled with the knowledge of his will, with all wisdom, and it's modified by spiritual, with all wisdom. Later on in chapter 1, verse 28, speaking of Paul and the ministry of the apostle Paul and those, I believe, who are ministering, and we proclaim him admonishing and teaching every man with all wisdom. And we know from chapter 2, verse 3, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. God's word is clear. There is wisdom from above and wisdom from below. There is God's wisdom and man's wisdom. James chapter 3. And God's wisdom comes forth from the word of God. Proverbs 2, 6. The Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And you can read Second or 1 Corinthians 2. It talks about how God has revealed those things hidden. It's his wisdom by his spirit. So then, what's it saying in our passage? We know chapter 1 is about teachers and preachers and those guys, right? What about here? It kind of sounds familiar. It sounds similar, doesn't it? Teaching and admonishing. Well, see, if God's word is filling your heart, if it's full, if it's dwelling richly and not poorly, if it's dwelling uh, in a context of holiness and not hip- hypocrisy, some people got it in there and it's total hypocrisy. If it's dwelling in holiness then something's going to come out. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, these Hebrews had become dull of hearing. And the writer of Hebrews says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. He's talking about the believers. There are those that God has as teachers, quote unquote, pastors and teachers, those who have teaching gifts, gifts of teaching. But we as believers are to be, in a sense, teaching one another. The word should be coming out in our lives. And we should also be, as he says, admonishing. The term teaching speaks of teaching. That's what it means. You know, as we're in the body of Christ and someone says, you know, this is what's going on in my life and this, I'm so concerned, I'm worried, I'm just can't stay up at night. And you say, oh, brother, hey, God says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. The Lord God says that we're to be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known, and the peace of God will protect you. It's God's word being taught in a real context. It's in a gracious, not stuffy, rigid way, but in real-life circumstances as we are around one another. As we are around one another. It's not your opinion or your wisdom coming forth. It is a full heart of God's word that's bringing forth teaching one another. Teaching one another.
And then he talks about admonishment. Nuthateo, nous, mind, thateo, tithemi, to place into the mind. That's what admonishment is. And it can be translated admonish or encourage. And it speaks of coming alongside, speaking to someone to help them see the way they're going so that they can be going the right way in a sense. It's encouraging. It's admonishment. It's not a spiritual whiplash or a Bible bash. It's not that. It's not coming alongside and smacking them up with the word of God. It's sharing, hey, you're going this way and God's word says this and here's this will help you see things rightly so you'll do the right thing. And maybe there's admonishment, maybe it's encouragement. Whatever it is. It's encouragement from God's perspective from his word to get back on course. You don't need to worry, brother. You're all tied up, brother. Trust the Lord. He's faithful. Trust him. He's working everything together for good. Don't worry, brother. We should be sharing those things with one another. We should be teaching and admonishing, and notice what it says, one another. That's an evidence of the word dwelling with you. It doesn't say teaching and admonishing the world. The world does not understand the things of God. They need the gospel. But we should be doing this. We should be doing this. Let me ask you, is that coming out? I'm not talking about, you know, having a Bible study now. You know, we have, we had people in the church before who didn't know the Lord and they, everything was literal. So out, out of here they would run out and now start a Bible study. I need to be teaching. I need, oh, I need to admonish, you know. No, that's not what I was talking about. It's in our everyday going that the Word of God, when we're filled to the brim richly, is coming out in our interactions for the good of one another. For the good of one another. And then notice, we see here there's a uh, focus not towards just one another now, but it's towards God. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom. Now, see, God's word in the context of his wisdom, it's being applied rightly. With all wisdom, admoni- teaching and admonishing one another. Now, you have this with Psalms, and that's where they say, oh, it's with Psalms we do it. And, and, and even you see this in Ephesians also, you've got to look at your grammar. I would put a comma there. Then say, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing. Singing what? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now this is our response to God. We're singing to God. We're walking along. We got a, we got a choir going on inside. We're, we're, it, we're singing unto the Lord. We're singing unto the Lord with thankfulness. Now that term thankfulness there, you might have a note in your Bible that says with grace, literally. It, it's with charis. It's with grace. In the context of his grace, you're singing as you walk each day. You're singing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Psalms being the inspired writer's response to God. Set to music in the Old Testament. With hymns, this speaks of a song of praise, especially thanksgiving to God. With spiritual songs, they are songs that express what God has done. They are encompassed by what the Spirit of God has revealed in the Word of God. Spiritual songs. This is an evidence that the word is working in your heart when you're singing unto the Lord. You got this stuff. Now, there's all kinds of bad music out there and there's good music. There's people, we have a generation of songwriters that don't know truth or don't know the God of the truth. And therefore the songs are shallow and repetitive and catchy to pull your emotions versus those, whether early or late, who have the truth of God in the songs that focus on the God of the truth, we see the difference. When I'm functioning in the context of his word and his grace, I'm going to be praising him, singing unto him, and it's going to be overflowing in my interactions with one another. 
It's going to be that's the case. And it's going to be with thankfulness or grace in our hearts. We're going to be worshiping the Lord from a right heart that's overflowing with the Word of God. That's where worship comes. A heart overflowing with His truth by His Spirit. Remember, being filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word is the same thing from two different angles. What did John, what did the Lord say to the woman at the well in John 4.23? That an hour is coming now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to be his worshipers. And we are singing in our hearts to God. To God. Is that happening? Not just singing a song, but you're singing to the Lord. Singing, it's an evidence that God's word is overflowing in your heart. It's dwelling richly. It's dwelling richly. Well, as we finish, notice there's one other thing I want to share. Notice that we're also going to be continually committing everything to him, whatever we say or do. This is, now, we don't do this perfectly. We're all saying, I fail, I fail, I fail. And I hope you are, because we all fail. But we should say, Lord, I want to be more so. I want to, I want to dwell more richly. I, want, I don't want to fail in this way. I want to obey this, Lord God. Notice here in verse 17, and it's connected to what we've seen. And whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, that would be through Jesus, to God the Father. Again, this and connects our passage to what he has just said. The word dwelling richly. The word dwelling richly. (coughs) Excuse me. And so here, notice we're commanded. This is everybody. These are believers. Now, these commands are impossible. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't do it. Or if you are bound up in sin and self-focus, you can't do this. You're just going to walk out feeling guilty and angry, whatever it might be. Confess your sin, confess your self-focus, and let the slate be cleaned and allow God to work in your heart. He says, and whatever we do, Whatever you do, in word or deed, that's everything. Do all in the name, or literally all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This reduces every word and action down to a complete focus and devotion and submission to the person of Christ. Everything we do is submitted to him. Everything we do, he's involved in. Every word we speak, he's involved in. We're, we're submitting it. We're allowing him to be the sovereign over our lives. And it's not mechanical. It's the word working in a real relationship by the Spirit of God and the true believer. And what a blessing that is. You see, the name of the Lord Jesus represents everything he is. He's the Lord. He's the sovereign. He's the Lord of lords. Jesus, the Lord of salvation. He's the one who saved us. He loves us. He is our intercessor. He, he is gr- wonderful. He intercedes for us like the Spirit does. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords to which every knee will bow, and he is the one who died for us. We are to do it in his name, and to do something in his name is not simply to simply an act to honor him, but within his word and thus his will, it, to speak or do something in his name is to have that under his conviction and control. Whatever his word and will says about it, we're submitting ourselves and those actions and words to that and thus to him. Thus to him. Under his conviction and approval and control and leading. Everything we're doing, everything we're speaking. This makes everything sacred, by the way. 
you think, oh, well, I'm sure glad uh, Pastor Greg commits his sermons to the Lord. Well, you got to commit everything to him. Everything we do. There's not one thing that you're doing if you're in his will that's not important. Whatever your job is, whatever he's called you to do, you commit that to him. You do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You do your work on him. That means we got to be doing it well, not sloppily, by the way. Everything we're doing, we're doing it on him. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive rewards or loss. We're to do it all to him. We're doing it all to him. And it's all important. Everything we say, you come to someone and you're thinking, you're just praying. That means you're praying, you're trusting the Lord, you're walking with the Lord. And you're thinking about it, you're trusting him, Lord, what do I say? Lord, someone says to me, Lord, how should I respond? You're trusting him, you're committing it all to him. We've all failed, I'm sure. I'm sure we've all not committed everything. But here we're commanded to do so. But remember, this command comes on the heels of having his word dwell richly and his peace reigning our hearts, right? And notice as we finish, there's a qualification. It's the same thing we saw back in letting the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Verse 17, and whatever you do, that's everything, in word or deed, do all or all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then notice this, giving thanks. Giving thanks through him to the God the Father. Through Christ we have access to the Father. Giving thanks to God. I'm thanking God for all this. Thank you, Lord, for helping me in this circumstance. Thank you for giving me the strength to do this job. Thank you, Lord God, for, for I know you'll help me say what I need to say. Thank you, Lord God. It's an evidence. God's word is working in my heart, and I'm walking with the Lord. I'm walking with the Lord. So then, if you're walking with Jesus, you're giving thanks through him to the Father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you for helping me share. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for this day. Thank you for these people. Thank you, Lord God. You're so good. You're so good. So then today, we've seen the heart attitudes and the manifestations to those heart attitudes. How you doing? Is the peace of Christ ruling your heart? You know, when you're abiding in him, you're trusting in him, you're believing what he said, you're allowing his word to work in you, you're going to have peace. That's your little gauge. If that's not there, I'm not talking about a faux peace. I'm talking about the peace that comes from him, the peace of Christ. And you know that because things happen and all of a sudden you go, ah, and you know that peace is gone because you're starting to see things from your own way. It's the peace controlling you. Secondly, is the word of Christ dwelling richly in you? We're commanded that it should be. That means I need to be in a good church. That means I need to focus on Christ through his word. That means I need to be meditating on it because I treasure it, not because I have to. Because I value it, not because I have to, but I value it. Because it's his word. And that's how he grows me. Then lastly, are you committing everything, word and deed, to him? Everything you do, believer, is important. Everything. Everything. Commit it to the Lord. Commit it to the Lord. And thank him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for this, these commands. And I pray that we who have heard and will hear, Lord God, will respond rightly and that you'd be greatly pleased as we trust you and allow your word to dwell richly in our hearts. Lord, help us to see those things that might be in the way. 
idols that we have raised that take away our hearts from you, that take away from allowing our hearts to be filled. Lord, help us see those. Help us tear those down, Lord God. Burn them up and help us refill our hearts with your truth as we walk and abide in your son, Jesus. Lord God, I pray for anyone here who doesn't understand a word we're saying or who will listen, who when they walk away, they immediately forget the conviction of your word. I pray they'd recognize they need a savior. and They would turn and trust in your son, Jesus. And then for those of us who know you, Lord God, may your word dwell richly in us. Pray this in your precious name. Amen. And